If you enjoy listening to Voices in Cloud, check out David Linthicum's reports on gigaohm.com. They're about data complexity and cloud solutions, addressing many of the topics covered in this podcast series. Hey guys, welcome to the GigaOM Voices in Cloud podcast. This is the one place where you'll hear from industry thought leaders providing no-nonsense advice on how to succeed with cloud computing, IoT, edge computing, and cognitive computing. I'm Dave Linthicum, best-selling author, speaker, executive, and B-List Geek. Well, that's new copy. I guess I'll have to learn that, uh, JP. So how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Inaugural show. I'm excited. Yeah, and episode number one. Looking forward to this. Um, looking forward to get back into the uh, into the podcasting stuff, um, especially in the objective kind of analyst area. So anyway, J.P. Morgenthau is a globally recognized industry thought leader representing the leading edge of emerging technology, sharing his knowledge through blogs, articles, books, and public speaking. Uh, he looks at technological waves and has been rec- recognized as a thought leader, including microservices, DevOps, Service management, cloud computing, SOA XML, Java and distributed object computing, and was involved in the formation of many industry uh, participation organizations, such as XAC, the Integration Consortium, and Oasis. So, what did I miss? Fill in the, fill in the blank specifically where you're working now. By the way, JP, are, exactly. JP and I are longtime friends. We've known each other since the '60s. Met at Woodstock, <laughs> and uh, we just exactly. kind of just managed this friendship ever since. So, what have you been doing since then, JP? Fair enough. Well, I for the last, for about just about four years now, I've been uh, with uh, what was CSC merged with Enterpri- HP Enterprise Services to become DXC last year. Uh, coming up on year two at DXC, I'm, uh, there, I'm in the office of the CTO, and I am the uh, CTO for our application services offering family and also a, a distinguished technologist. Distinguished. Wow, I love that. Uh, so what does that mean? Does that mean that you're better than a technologist? It means I didn't make fellow. <laughs> <laughs> I never got fellow. I know IBM has fellow. I thought was that that was kind of funny. It's like you're a, they're a fellow there, and it says, well, I guess it's kind of an academic kind of relation to that because they've been doing that for such a long time. So, kind of uh, tell us what you've been doing as far as books and speaking and uh, some of the thought leadership stuff. And I, I've I've met JP. At, we didn't meet at Woodstock, by the way. I don't know if you, you figured that <laughs> one out. I think they got that. Yeah, but we 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 did meet uh, speaking at conferences. And JP's uh, outstanding speaker, and he knows his stuff. And I'd always Thank refer you. to him as uh, you know anybody you know someone who was looking for someone who had expertise in so space and the integration space, things like that. You know, he and I were in essence running in the same circle. So what have you been doing lately? Uh, really uh, working on uh, a lot of this uh, digital technology, digital transformation efforts, uh, looking at how to help companies to uh, move to the next level with a lot of this emerging tech. Uh, I, I actually uh, wrote a piece. Uh, uh, it was a blog entry. It was put on GigaOM. And uh, you know, it basically addressed uh, the multitude of uh, emerging techs that are coming out at the same time. You know, you have uh, IoT, blockchain, um, cloud, containers, right? And uh, in this amalgam of technologies that are coming out, and and really, how is the enterprise except expecting to be able to adopt all of this stuff? I mean, it's uh, I I find it really interesting. You know, some really useful stories coming out about adoption of this stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I can't believe that executives in IT aren't overwhelmed in consideration of, you know, all this new stuff. I mean, they're just, 
you, you have a, a low level of maturity behind it, right? And you, uh, which to me says that, you know, <laughs> I was on a podcast just last week at uh, Dynatrace Perform. And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I'll take somebody who has uh, eight years of Kubernetes on there. You know, um, can you get me somebody with eight years of Kubernetes? Sure. Um, we might need a time machine and teach people back then what Kubernetes was. Maybe Google, maybe somebody at Google who's, uh, you know, in a lab <laughs> might have it. But, uh, you know, this is what they want, right? So this kind of thinking that this technology has been around. Uh, in, in a production level manner for more than two, three years is, uh, is, you know, a concern for me, especially as I see companies really talking about all that they're doing with it. So it's, uh, to me, it's a real interesting proposal as to, uh, you know, somebody's cooking this stuff up really. And then you have on the other side, the traditional ops organizations in it for many of these enterprises. And really, what do they think about this? You know, you know, the guys in the knock and the socks sitting there watching screens, doing tickets, you know, what are they thinking about all this stuff that's coming down the pipe that's being integrated into the new application domain? It, it just it, it's, it's such an interesting time. Yeah, to uh, it's a shiny object syndrome. So in other words, we've been going through this for you. I used to call it managed by magazine when we read mm -hmm. magazines and. And, I still use that. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> and the I thing is, you, but I still use that. The thing is, it's kind of there's a, there's a a big uh, divergence with the attitudes of Silicon Valley and how they look at technology. They want to adopt anything that comes down the road, and then, so now it's Kubernetes and containers and serverless computing and you know cognitive computing and things I write and speak about because people are interested in reading about it and hearing about it. You know, even talking on podcasts about it. But the thing is, if you deal with most of the global two thousand companies out there. They can't move that fast. Uh, their IT budget is 1% of their revenues. And so they can only move in terms of a digital, digital transformation as the money lets them move and the resources let them move. And even though they would like to chase every shiny object, there's a desire to make that happen. It doesn't really make sense that they do that. And the thing is, I think it's okay to be a devil's advocate and look at second guessing you know, some of the technology that's coming down the road just to make sure that it's right for you and that there's a true value in moving that direction. There's such a knee-jerk reaction to, in essence, follow the stars, you know, follow what the brightest object is in the space, and that I think people are going to start making mistakes, and they're going to make mistakes with many zeros on the end. What do you think? I think you're, I think you're right on target, right? Uh, you actually have an article out there about how expensive now that cloud computing is starting to show up, right, at the end of the day. And, you know, it, this, this, it is the driving factor behind operationalization and industrialization of this that's really uh, hasn't been accounted for. Uh, I think we're past, in some of these technologies, proof of concept. And, you know, looking at how do I really formalize this in an operational setting? And that's what people don't consider, right? I mean, you have a small group out there of uh, technical elitists who can talk about things like no ops, Right where no ops is the developers responsible for whatever code they put into production and they can push whatever they want into production and companies like Netflix can say, "Ooh, look how cool we are! Don't you want to come work for us if you're a techie? Because this is the this is the domain and the culture you want to live in." But I don't I don't know many banks, insurance companies, uh, you know, even you know, you know, hospitals who would who would dare to uh, expose themselves to the upside risk from that kind of activity, 
right? And so I think you end up in this conundrum of uh, everything that's being demonstrated to the field looks, you know, the shine, you know, not only shiny, but that uh, it's easy and it should cost nothing to run. And I think this is an invalid perception. I think it's a dangerous perception that's being set by these tech companies. Uh, and and like you said, there needs to be a pragmatic template for an industry to say, you're in insurance. Stop looking at Netflix. Look at this template that says this is the way it should work in an environment where you have risk management equal to this level of scale. Right. And uh, and these are the things that you need. To, the, you know, this is the benefits of these technologies that you, you can expect to achieve. And these are the risks in, in, in assuming them and, you know, uh, and know your operational costs aren't going to be the same as a company who hires a developer who's willing to also be on pager duty. It, it just, uh, you know, I don't see it. I don't see the equating. I don't see people looking at it logically. I see them, as you said, chasing the shiny object saying, oh, I got to have one of those. And the other side of it is, and I'm really interested in your take on this, Dave, because I know you've looked at this over the years and watched it the same as I have. Really, shouldn't we have moved further down the chain, train, uh, down the, the tracks on uh, using low-code environments to get to our business outcomes? If everything's about business process and logic and driving new business processes, shouldn't we have moved further toward, on the spectrum towards you know, low-code, easy to develop, having you know, business analysts actually you know, producing and designing processes visually? Then elitist still picking our platforms for us? Yeah, well, I mean, when I got out of college, I was told COBOL was developed for the business executives for them to uh, program things so developers weren't going to be needed anymore and therefore should find <laughs> another occupation. So we go through all this stuff all the time. And what's happened is, is that ultimately we're just ADD when it comes to technology. And so we can't get to low code until we get to kind of a, a fundamental uh, level setting as to what the technology is, you know, common database technology, common coding technology, process integration technology. We shift everything all the time. And, and so as we do this, we make things more complex and we just kind of dig ourselves deeper in the hole. You know, one of the things that, you know, it kind of struck me, we, I've been focusing on, you know, cloud complexity. In other words, uh, the complexity that's being brought into the enterprises, which is kind of what we're talking about here by the use of cloud and also the use of all the things that cloud is able to bring. And the cool thing is I'm able to fire up any different technologies I need to fire up. I can fire up a database and a cognitive computing and, you know, Kubernetes and all the cool stuff for just the price of a credit card in a few minutes. But ultimately, if I'm operating that, how do I operate these very complex environments? I'm dealing with multi-cloud. I may have, you know, um, 600 endpoints out on AWS and, you know, 500 endpoints out on Google and, you uh, you know, 700 endpoints out on something else. And then going forward, I have to manage those endpoints. I have to operate them. I have to secure them. I have to govern them. And that's really not thought out. And so what we're doing is we're getting this in this complexity corner. I mean, this guy's to your point. We're not only doing not doing low code kind of stuff, but we're doing too much code and too many technologies are being brought into production. And we're asked the operations guy, who's, by the way, who are not getting any more money, to go ahead and figure out how to make this happen. And we have you know, lots of different ways to do it with cloud management platforms, cloud services, brokers. That technology isn't really cooked enough to really kind of make the kind of progress that we need to make. So my concern is we're going to hit a tipping point you know, sometime in 2020, 2021, where just the amount of operational complexity is going to be so high 
that a lot of these things are just going to tip over. What are your thoughts on that? I think the, uh, I think you, you're right. I think I see it um, heading in that direction and, and it will, it could come out from the cloud. I, I know it definitely will come out around all this work around microservices and APIs. I, I've seen companies with 2,500 to, to 6,000 APIs already developed internally for their applications. Um, that's, you know, they may think it's manageable. I, I don't see how that's manageable. Managing the, the not only the, the the consumption of them and the maintenance of them, but the the traffic to them, how they're connected up, what what are the dependencies that are being formed? What what who who's consuming them and how and why are they being conser- consumed? Right? I mean, this is some really complex event-based architectures, and you and I know that event-based architectures have not gone over well in IT over the years, right? We've seen them, you know, attempted to be used for some of the most complex processing around derivative, you know, uh, financials and securities industry. And and even they have with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to throw at an employee and, you know, have backed off large scale event architectures because they're just too complex to, to really maintain and run at scale. And so, yes, you add in the cloud. You add in how many services does Amazon have now? 95? 95 services. Do you know how to – is there any one person or group of people that can actually uh, govern and operate those, you know, 50% of those services in use? I mean, and it's not only just this, you know, uh, for Amazon, the, the fact that somebody's using a service, right? Uh, they've done the right thing. But in, in doing so, made it more complex. They've integrated their access management, their their uh, their ability to limit or manage security around these services. In such, they've enhanced it in such a way that you have to now know how to tie these things together and give rights between services in order to have them connect, right? And so, yeah, a certain amount of that is expected to happen by the developer, but that's got to be managed in operations and how does that all come across and people say oh devops that's the answer to everything by the way the answer to everything is devops right and and i keep reminding people devops isn't magic somebody's got to do the hard work of putting together an automation script testing that script making sure that it works in staging and pre-prod making sure that it when it goes into production that it executes as planned right and so it actually is a additional overhead on the entire QA cycle, right? It, it all it, it shifting left. Well, the whole complexity shifts left too. Um, and, and, and yes, I've seen success. People have great stories out there and I've seen wonderful things occur, but I just, I, I, I don't think it's really hit scale. And I think right now what we're looking at are uh, small bites of, of opportunity of what it could be glimpses of what it could be. But, you know, you take that and you try to deploy that and make your entire operation or enterprise run that way. I, I don't I don't know that where we've seen that at a scale other than maybe, a, you know, a technology driven company. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that we have to kind of relate to the audience that we can succeed with this technology. This does not mean that it's un, that it's unfathomable and how we are able to take this stuff forward. What we're saying is that. Typical companies have limitations in what they can spend and also limitations on the talent of the people who work in IT. And we can't spend a half a billion dollars on an IT budget that was $100 million 
you know, last year. Ultimately, this has to scale up as a at an incremental scale. And even though there may be some diminished uh, operational costs that we may get at in the next couple of three years, but we're just ultimately not thinking about how these things are going to be operated. I mean, well, you said 95 services. I would, it's even worse than that, because if you take each one of those services, you decompose them to the subservices of the APIs that are part of those services. You know, we can have 10,000 things that we're, we're managing and then instance of those things that we're managing. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. This just means that we have to think about how we're controlling that stuff and put some architectural forethought into how we're building these systems. And, and so I don't want to get this like we're down on, on cloud technology, you know, but, but ultimately you have to call your enthusiasm with your ability to you know, use this stuff effectively, just like any other technology, use of computers, rise yeah. of the oh, internet, oh, oh. every kind of technological shift we went through. In, in all fairness, when cloud first came out, I, I saw that there were many organizations that were addressing the, the absorption and the adoption of cloud in a very governed way. You had the CISO involved. You had the head of you know, IT infrastructure involved. There were rules. There was a thought process about how it would be, uh, how would you go to the public cloud? How are we going to handle accounts? How are we going to handle you know, the, the rights uh, and roles within that? And they all got hit, dinged, for moving too slow, right? And I think some of that actually, uh, unfortunately, dissipated because of that pressure to, hey, we got to do cloud now. We got to do cloud now. You move it too slow. And so I think that's impacted and, and probably dissuade some of these same people from taking the same approach to these other technologies. But it's the right thing to do. It's sit back, say, all right, here's a new technology. We're bringing it into our company. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the developers? What does it mean for the, the quality assurance and testing organizations? What does it mean for operations, right? And, and who's supposed to have the rights within these environments to make changes and do things? And if you're not going to think that out in advance and you're just going to take the, hey, let's just dive into the pool, well, we all know what the outcome of that is, is likely to head towards. So the message here is we're not saying don't do cloud. We're saying do cloud in a methodical way with some forethought and planning and therefore do it right. Pretty much. So how do you do it right? Uh, exactly what I was saying. I like the, you know, thinking through architecture. Our, our architects have uh, uh, taken on a, uh, a bad name of recent. It seems like, you know, nobody wants to design anything anymore. Everything is, let's just jump in the pool and figure it out as we go. Very, that's agile, right? But in, in this agile world, we seem to have left out the, the desire to have a big picture, a map of where you're going. So, you know, remember those uh, games, people who are our age will remember these games when you were younger. I think there was one on Atari. It's like a maze, but you figure out the room as you bump into things and go through it. It's dark until you actually go to a spot and then it uh, uncovers it. Well, that's how we're doing adoption of some of these technologies is we're, we're just going into the room and and going down a particular path until we hit a wall and then backtracking and saying, oh, that's a wall, so I'll go this other route. And and, and we don't have the big picture. We don't, we've sacrificed the enterprise architecture, the understanding of how everything is supposed to interrelate and, and relate back to the business processes uh, as a way of uh, guiding us. And I think that both are needed. I think you need the balance. I, I like the thought of agile. I like the agile approach of, you know, here's something we um, 
are thinking about. Well, let's, you know, instead of just spending weeks thinking about it, let's just put something together and see how that, what that looks like. That's a great thing, right? Because now you're getting feedback. You, you spent that same two weeks, you know, that you would have thought about it now sharing and collaborating around it. Okay. But that's not the way you're supposed to build your whole business. Yeah, that's not the way you would financially design your, eh, let's just start selling something, see if it works. No, you're going to do focus groups. You're going to do product design. You're going to put together MRDs and PRDs, and you're going to know how to produce that. You're going to get your sourcing right. That's how you build and bring a product to market, right? So there's planning, and uh, and, and some of that seems to be getting lost now uh, with regard to uh, this, the digital application realm because I guess – you can. You can sacrifice that that thinking. You do realize we sound like a couple of grumpy old men. Oh, I was, yeah, probably do. Well, you know what? You know, I, don't, I, hate, I hate to agree with you there because it just sounds horrible the way he said it. But we, we're, we're trying to help give wisdom, right? Old men also bring wisdom. Well, right? the thing, and young kids never listen to it, so it doesn't really matter. Well, the thing is, there's no extremes here, and that's what you're saying. The thing I used to, when I was in the CTO days, when I ran product development, you know, I used to say we're all for agile. Um, we didn't have DevOps around then. We're definitely moving to to automate agile. I said, but we can't be a, t- a technological drum circle. I said, ultimately, there needs to be some vision. People need to be moving toward a common goal. Now, if you want to do that in an iterative way, and do that in a continuously improved way, that's fine. But ultimately, we have to be building the same things. The idea that people are going off and, you know, building things that really don't live up to the expectations of the product, you know, is sometimes where Agile falls down. And I think most people who are, you know, Scrum masters and Agile leaders, they kind of understand that. That's where they're scrumming up in the morning and getting everybody moving in the same direction. But I think we've kind of, you know, jumped the shark a bit in terms of our thinking and the ability to, in essence, move forward with the technology in an orderly way, we're just, you know, we, we're able to get it so quickly, we can get that satisfaction right away. We're able to allocate these these cloud provisioning things. So it's very easy for these folks to build things, you know, as they need it. And once it's built, we have applications on it. It's very dif- uh, uh, difficult to tear them down. But guess what? Someone has to operate it. Exactly. And that's really what it all comes down to is the methodical approach in the beginning is really about helping the people in the end to run it in a secure, highly available way, right? I mean, you need to build in those non-functional requirements. So that goes to a survey I blogged about today uh, out on InfoWorld, um, and it's my my blog. I loves me some me. Um, so, survey of 100 decision makers in companies with 500 or more employees conducted by Net Enrich found that 85% claimed either moderate, extensive production and use of cloud infrastructure, which isn't surprising. Uh, I think I've been claiming that as well. So, and but the trouble in paradise, the server also finds the top cloud provide computing issues around security, sixty-eight percent, followed by IT spend and cost overruns, fifty-nine uh, percent, day-to-day maintenance, thirty-six percent, and root cause analysis and postmortems, twenty-two percent, and also forty-eight percent claim that their IT organization is finding that the cost of recruiting cloud professionals to solve these problems is an ongoing issue. So it's kind of what we're talking about. I think what we're finding out is that, you know, cloud computing has seemed suddenly hard and expensive, which is the name of the blog. But the reality is I think we, you know, we oversold cloud computing as an industry. I don't think even I did. I think we were the designated curmudgeons, um, you know, back in uh, 2006, 2007 when cloud started to rise. But because we're not putting, I think, the necessary planning in this, we're not necessarily thinking about how the technology needs to live 
and breathe within the organization. We're, we're getting a bit of a, you know, kind of a hangover going forward. It's not that bad, by the way, versus other hangovers we had in the past. But, you know, ultimately, there's a, a bit of a downside to cloud computing. It's more expensive. Typically, agile is going to be, agility is going to be the core benefit of it. It's not going to be op savings in many instances. We need to hire people that are very expensive and very, very hard to find out there to make these things happen. And yet our boards of directors who are now all in on the cloud where they weren't five years ago are screaming to get IT moving forward. So how do they survive this? That's that that is the million. That's the holy grail. That's the million dollar question. And resources are a very large problem. Um, it, you know, case in point, looked at, at Apple and Google who have backed off for acquiring college educations as a as a prerequisite for hiring. There are plenty of people that are self-taught, but the fact that they're willing to recognize it, I think, is an indicator of the market itself in saying that um, maybe there aren't enough people who are going through college programs to satisfy this demand, right? So there is a huge demand that is greater than supply, is certainly greater than the supply of people who are learning in college. More than that, the college education programs haven't kept up. If the kids coming out of college and that's a horrible term. I can't believe it. I just said kids. The people, the uh, adults coming out of college and going through these programs, uh, are, are, are they're not getting, they're not coming out prepared to just start work the next day, right? It's not day one for them. Uh, there is additional training and requirements that uh, they need to go through in order to be have utility on on a, on a. Um, on a real project at a real enterprise uh, company. And when my son uh, graduated Mason, you're a Mason grad, right? So I have a, that's right. Uh, my son graduated Mason. Go Patriots. He graduated, I'm sorry. Go Patriots. Go Patriots. Uh, so he graduated a comp sci degree with honors, but that doesn't mean he was ready to sit down the next day and start doing, you know, Java, you know, web applications. I, you know, I got him started on uh, going through a bunch of Udemy courses, right, to uh, to become aware of things like Jenkins and Git and React and, you know, uh, and, and server-side computing and serverless computing, right, because that's what people are looking for. And so there is obviously a gap in, and so for somebody, so for those companies to say, you know, maybe university isn't the prerequisite I need to look for. I need to look for people who are, you know, ambitious people who are willing to sit down and able to be to train themselves against a, a curriculum that I can give them online uh, it is going to it, it shows the opening of the aperture to say uh, we got to find other ways to solve, satisfy this demand. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think ultimately it becomes, uh, you know, really a, a matter of everybody doing a little bit more planning in terms of how they're going to leverage technology including understanding their skills gap and where they're looking to take it. I'm always surprised that people are surprised that there's a downside to that. So anyway, please pick up a copy of my book, Cloud Computing and SOA Convergence, available on Amazon as well as other places books are sold. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at David Linthicum, that's L-I-N-T-H-I-C-U-M, as well as LinkedIn, where I have several cloud computing courses on LinkedIn Learning. JP, where can they find you on the web? Uh, Twitter is uh, at JP Morgenthal, M-O-R-G-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, and uh, I have my blog at uh, jpmorgenthal.com. Also, uh, check out uh, some of the materials that I'm also producing at DXC uh, at dxc.com. 
Take a look at JP. Tell you what, he's uh, he's always ahead of the game and uh, always looking glad to have him on the podcast. And I'll have you back back pretty soon. So until next time, best of luck with your clack and now, meeting. And now we're grumpy old men. Now, now we're about that one, Jack Lemon. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. so until next time, best of luck in building a clack meeting projects. We'll talk to you again in about seven days. You guys take care. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Cloud, please check out the other ones. Removing hybrid and multi-cloud complexity is the focus of a report that David wrote for GigaOM Research. If you're interested in finding out more about taking IT to the next level, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.